I don't want to get off TD Bank. Like I've had them since <laughs> Commerce Bank. And she was like, well, it's Chase now. Deal with it or it's Stockton Shell. And I was like, well, that ain't going to work. So we're sticking with Stockton. Yeah. So that was so the that, end of that So marriage. needless to say, we didn't get married and I'm still at TD Bank <laughs> yeah. at least. So look at the positives. Most convenient bank. <laughs> this is not an ad for TD Bank, by the way. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing. Today, I'm here with Gaurav Sharol, Director Ad Measurement at Roku, and Brad Stockton, VP National Video Innovation at Amplify US, part of Dentsu. Hi, both. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Hello. Thanks for having us. G and Brad, welcome and thanks again. Before we dive in, can you give us a little bit of insight on your roles to our listeners, as well as how that's evolved over the years at the companies? All right, I got it. I got my start arguing with a bunch of folks who were going to be doctors and software engineers about politics and economics. They always had the facts and stats. And so I got into econometrics and like the quantitative side of political science. My first job, I dropped out of college to work on the Obama campaign, the re-election, and I worked with matching the voter file up to set-top box data to buy TV ads. And I never looked back. I uh, started a company working in TV data and attribution, moved away from voter data to CRM and survey data and that kind of stuff. And then when I saw the year-on-year growth, the churn in the uh, MVPD side of things and the growth on the streaming side of things, I was excited to join Roku, where our data set's been growing and user base has been growing as streaming kicks up. Uh, Brad, do you want to try to top that? Well, I'm going to go now because that's going to be tough because I went into that foolish thing and graduated college. What an idiot. No, gee, I didn't even know that about you. That's absolutely wildly amazing. We've met before a couple of times. So very, very cool. I fell into this media world and, and never going to look back because it is probably the coolest thing ever. And I find data cool, which is why I find media cool because it's really been that convergence. You know, I started as a legacy TV buyer where it was you know, age and gender and GRPs, those mystical creatures that we're buying on television. And then as, you know, my career has grown and really coming here to Dentsu and really working into the digital video space and then the advanced space, how do we use audiences in television, whether it's addressable television, now digital video, and now into the streaming world. And that is really where my focus has been now is how do we find audiences across all medium types, whether it's it's a streaming, it's a television platform, it's desktop, mobile, tablet, but how do we find use audiences the M1 audiences to activate our media and campaigns. So been a wild, fun ride, especially over the last two years as the streaming space has clearly boomed. Yeah, and we're about to dive into that today. So Dentsu and Roku teams recently joined up to create a four-part insight series and report, for lack of better words, around March Madness for our internal teams. Can you give us a little bit of insight into how that came about, how that started, and then what went into that kind of work to produce all four series? Yeah, listen, I'll, I'll tee it off because I think G's going to be the right guy to talk about kind of what went into the reports. But I would say, you know, we've been really growing our relationship with Roku over the last three, four years. You know, I came back to the organization after a little boomerang in 2019. And coming back, you know, we saw started to see, really starting to see the increase in time spent on streaming platforms, especially at partners like Roku, who... You know, you look at where they sit today with 51.2 million total households across the USG. Keep me honest on those numbers. It sounds like you're on the earnings call. This is spot on. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. And I bring that up purposely, though, because when we kicked off relationship back in 2019, and obviously we were talking way before that, but there was closer to 19.6 million households. And then you see that extensive growth over the last three years. 
you know, it, it's really impressive what Roku's been able to do, but more so around what line of sight they have to their smart TVs and their ACR footprint. And that's really what kicked off this relationship in terms of what we can garner from an insights perspective, because Roku has this really strong ability to understand what's on the television glass, whether it's streaming or linear television. You put that together, we're able to garner a lot of great insights in more of a real-time nature that we're not used to garnering. So being able to partner with Roku against their vast ACR footprint helped us really give us a better line of sight to how the NCAA tournament is performing in both the linear and streaming world to really kind of give us those next day insights to really quantify and justify how and why we're spending in, in the big dance in the tournament. Jig, tell us a little bit about the work that went into these reports and the turnaround times, because it was a pretty fast tournament and garnering these this information for our teams must have taken some work on the inside. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Roku is a technology company, it's a consumer technology company. So at the end of the day, to Brad's point, the scale of our data collection is pretty interesting. It's pretty big. And there's a lot of value there. About 38% of the smart TVs sold in the US today are powered by a Roku TV operating system. They might not have the Roku logo on the actual TV itself, but on the screen when you boot up, there's a Roku logo and there's a Roku account holder who logs in. And when they opt in, we have a line of sight into their linear TV viewership and their streaming behaviors. And so I think a lot of credit to you know Brad and the Dentsu team for helping us understand where your advertiser demands were on, you know, folks are making big investment in 10 poles. It's been a strange, like last 15 months have been even more strange than usual. At, at Roku, we think it's really just accelerated the streaming decade. But that means like there was no year-on-year -year comp for March Madness. So having a kind of quick look as the streaming logs and the linear TV ACR logs come in is super valuable for our partners at Dentsu, the advertisers, and for us to understand what's happening with streaming. That's a little bit about kind of how, how we go about pulling things. We sometimes joke big data, big problems. In this case, it was big data and pretty quick insights. We were able to kind of like hone in on a few key things, even though we didn't have a comp year on year to kind of get a sense of like what had been happening in the tournament. Right. Well, let's dive into that data. So what were some of the most interesting or shocking shifts from 2019 versus 2021? I know there's a gap in between that, but what was that to both of you? Sure. I mean, I think the punchline is that reach declined and it declined significantly. I think we saw something like a 22% reach decline on the overall tournament and 14% decline in reach for just the championship game. That was, you know, overall pretty interesting. Now, there's a lot of other things that stood out too that aren't kind of the overall, like thinking about it from a marketer's perspective. The tune in of men's tournaments viewers into the women's tournament was up like 40%. It was 29% instead of 21%. And in general, it seems like there was, there was a decline among folks that overlapped their viewership between March Madness and the NBA, meaning folks that watched the March Madness in 2021 were a little bit less likely to tune into some of the other sports airing at the same time looking at 2019. But I think the headline is definitely just a change in tenfold reach over time. Yeah. And, you know, double clicking into that, I would say the shift from the linear to the streaming viewer, I thought those are really eye opening. I mean, when you when you realize I mean, myself, I, I'm not going to be a cord cutter, but I do bounce back and forth between my Roku and my linear TV. That's just my legacy TV buying app. Plus, you know, there's still great ads on television and great content. So I know that I watched the final four on my Roku device and I watched that through my Paramount Plus. And quite frankly, I clicked on it because I was going into Paramount Plus and then saw at the top, oh, there, 
NCAA games on. I'm going to click into that. I'm going to watch it on here for a little bit. So even my own behavior bouncing back and forth, you know, I think that was a really key element that we saw holistically across the entire U.S. that streaming is up. Yes, holistic reach to the tournament is down, but the amount of people that were watching it on a new platform, a new way of watching it, that was really eye-opening to me to really see how that has increased heavily. I think a big piece of that and why we saw the tournament down holistically, a lot of our blue chip teams that we typically see in there, there are big market teams for lack of better terms, like the Dukes of the world are not in this tournament. We know that those big market teams or big names do come with a crowd. And, you know, that's evident in all sports, right? When, when the Yankees play the Red Sox on ESPN, people are going to tune in to watch that game. It doesn't matter if the Red Sox suck this year. And, but people are going to want to watch that game. Let's go Yankees. Clearly a Yankees fan. All right. All right. Now, you know, I think that's, what's really a big factor. Why we saw the linear ratings down, but why we saw the streaming up. But what that's another really cool insight that I love that we took away from this report was the local and the regional elements to the viewership that we were able to garner because Roku can slice and dice that data across these different regions. So seeing how the LA population was, was obviously increased during that final four match. But I thought it was really cool. What I really liked taking away was how the Baylor area, the Baylor region was also increased during that game. Cause it's a little bit of scouting between, you know, who are we going to play in the finals? And I think we saw that throughout the tournament, which I thought that was a really cool element. But then like to take that back to like an advertising standpoint, like how do we take advantage of that? If we know we're going to start seeing increase in these areas, there's a really good regional and local opportunity for our advertisers to really take care of those areas. And we know we're going to see increase in streaming hours, Let's go ahead and let's let's start doing some geo-targeting and really hitting from a local perspective of the right areas when you know they're more in tune and leaned into the content that they're going to be watching. Yeah, and that actually ties into... So in the report, I actually noticed that the average viewing household tuned into less games, but watched more hours, which I think is pretty interesting in itself as well from an insights perspective. What do you think that's saying around today's active sports viewers? That's a great question. So one caveat as the data guy that I've got a flag is there was one fewer game played in 2021 than 2019. Even if you make an adjustment for that, like that trend still holds true. And one way of explaining it, like it's super hard to explain these kinds of trends, but one theory that I think you could see in the data and we could maybe do some qual to you know, fully close the loop between our behavioral data and, and further research would be there's a shrinking audience of casual sports viewers, right? Maybe in 2019, there were more folks channel surfing just on linear in general, popping by a NCAA game. Whereas now it's like a little bit more of appointment viewing after dinner, we're going to fire up the TV, maybe watch some SVOD on streaming, or maybe, you know, I'm not going to watch the early rounds. I'm going to watch the highlights. I think that's where you kind of get a shrinking pie in some sense, maybe. But the folks that are left watching, they're avids. They're going to watch the whole game. So that's why you get kind of fewer average games, but the people left over are their loyalists. Now, this is definitely a theory, just looking at the data, can't prove it out, but it sounds pretty good to me. I don't know, Brad, if you feel differently, but <laughs> that was one way to take it. That's exactly it, right? I mean, you have fewer people watching, but fewer people for watching longer time. So I think that's where it gets a little interesting. And, the, and then to your point, I mean, that's your hardcore sports fan, whether they're loyal to a team or loyal to basketball and NCAA, but they're going to, they're going to, there's the people that are going to be there that turned it on from the first game, the first tip where UCLA was playing. I think they were the first game still. From the first play on game to the finals, they're going to watch every single match as long as they possibly can. And then you're going to have the local fans who are going to time in for when their team is playing only. So I think it makes complete sense. That's really what we saw a lot for why time spent was up versus the total games consumed. Do we think that streaming and linear are the reason for that though? There's so much difference between the two now. Do you think that it takes a very 
avid sports viewer watcher to really know when the time of the games were, when to tune in, where to tune in? Like, did that have a play in that, you think? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I think that the NCAA in partnership with CBS and Warner Media and Turner Sports have done a really good job of making all games accessible on linear TV and streaming. I think the ease of access to find your game and find the game you want to watch has actually been easier now than ever. And it's not a matter of choosing, all right, well, which game do I want to watch? I have one channel to watch it on. If you know you want to watch your game on True TV or if you want to go watch on CBS, you know, you have the ability to watch all games how you want, when you want. You know, the problem we have in all of media, regardless of sports, is what do you want to watch, where you want to... It's an on-demand world, and you can have access to anything you want because, you know, it's going to be on your Roku by going, clicking into the right button that's going to find your content. I think the NCAA tournament was proven to be the same way. I, I actually really tip my hat to CBS and Turner Sports and their ability to give consumers all options on how they want to watch when they want to watch. It's been really impressive to see that evolution over the three years to truly get to where we are in 2021, which is a streaming world. It's easier than ever to find what you want to watch and watch it when you want. So I think the consumer is just in control and where they end up going is, is a little bit fragmented, but it's the same content no matter where they end up going. So that leads into the importance of partnerships. As a partner, like where have you seen successful partnerships? How has that evolved in TV specifically? And where is that headed? Yeah, I mean, I think the partnership between Roku and Dentsu is a great example of like, there's data that we sit on that's a strategic value to our partner, even though it may not be media that we can activate it. And so we want to tell our advertisers where consumers, like you know, over these, these 51 million plus accounts that have Rokus, we want to help advertisers, agencies, strategic partners understand where consumers are. Because if we don't help do that, like we sit on data that's super valuable to help kind of understand that. And the reason why partnerships in general are interesting, even across you know, sitting from the platform side, we need our content providers to be on our platform so that our users are happy. Our advertising and agency partners need to make sure they understand where audiences are going. Because if you try to reach the 2019 audience doing the same tactics in 2020, you'd miss one in five of them. It's important for us to basically be able to provide strategic value with our data, not just be a line in a media plan, right? Like we want to be there and help figure out the problems that are interesting, useful, allow advertisers, agencies to feel good about the investments they're making, make better plans for the next temple, whatever it is. Well, then perfect segue. So if you had a CMO now today, you were speaking to them, what would you say to them to advise for next year's tournament? We have to follow the data. I mean, I think that's something that we are really keen on at Dentsu as it is, but you have to let the data and the audiences and the consumption behaviors follow how we should be approaching the tournament, how we're approaching all 10 polls and all media events and activations. So, you know, as we gather more insights, I mean, utilizing the reports that we were able to, to get from Roku, as we look at, you know, what Nielsen reports out on and how this whole thing comes together, we're going to look at this and evaluate where the opportunity lies. And again, every tournament is going to be different. You know, I mean, we saw that with the Final Four game where, where UCLA and Gonzaga went down to a buzzer beater. We saw the increases in streaming. We saw the increase in ad opportunities. We saw the increase in viewership versus the game prior that was a blowout. So I think, you know, understanding that, you know, one tournament is going to be different to the next. There's going to be reasons and pros and cons for that. But ultimately, follow the data. And that's what's going to make sure you're going to maximize your reach and drive the most effectiveness for every buy that you put in the marketplace. So there's a reason we love working with Brad. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense, I think. You know, the only kind of thing to add is it depends on how you think about it, right? You have to execute on everything. The creative has got to be 
good. The messaging has to fit the content properly, but also, you know, frequency management and reach works. Like, are you going to get the folks that are watching highlights? Are you going to get the folks that are streaming? So, you know, sitting from our lens at Roku as America's number one streaming platform, we of course want to make sure the advertiser or the CMO understands that like, are you using our identity and our partners' data sets to help you understand your holistic reach and frequency across the audiences you care about? Who are you trying to reach and how much are they consuming March Madness and that kind of stuff? Which I think it comes back to Brad's point here, which is follow the data. I think our build on that would be, and Roku's got some great data that we can help you pull these threads with. Jeep touched on a really good point though, right? Like there's one portion of this, which we're talking about the live viewing on linear television. We're talking about the viewing in the streaming world. There's also the clip element to this whole piece as well. There's the whole social element. I mean, a lot of people just, they'll just go to Snapchat and get their clips on ESPN and that's how they're going to watch the games nowadays. So it's really about that omni-channel strategy when thinking about the tournament because what we saw was there's a lot of less viewership than we saw a year ago. Total reach is down, but that doesn't mean that those people don't care about the tournament. They're just consuming it in a different fashion. Maybe that is just through their social channels. So it's really about what is your omni-channel approach? No one tactic should ever be a standalone as it is. So as you're really thinking about the tournament year over year, and again, I think it's something that the NCAA, again, does really well at making sure that their plans, or at least I think our advertisers do really well, make sure that their plans are are omni-channel in general and not just really just looking at one tactic to drive the whole ship. As the country is moving to a more positive state with vaccinations, next year, how do you see streaming and linear playing a role versus live event and everything else in between for omni-channel? Out of home. Out of home. That's that's where you're going to start seeing. I mean, just more ratings happening on in bars again. I mean, that, that's where I'm really excited to see, you know, what more insights we can drive from Roku about, you know, where are those locations that we can ping that are more, more group environment viewing and seeing how those really increase. Because, of course, you know, I, I as... Anybody who's worked in media, we know that the first round of the NCAA tournament is probably one of the best days as a media person to enjoy a round, the first round at at a bar. And quite frankly, you know, that's things that just didn't happen. And that's not just for media. I mean, that's just anybody. We want to go hang out with your friends and go watch the first round of the tournament together, see how your bracket's doing. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that as the vaccination does happen and we're able to get out back again. So I think that's one key element to this is how do you create more experiences for those type of viewing behaviors, but ultimately it's still an on-demand world. I think that what we saw is is not an anomaly for 2021. I think it's a continuous trend we're going to see. I just think we're gonna see a lot more group viewing habits as we go into more of these temple events. Something that we believe strongly is this last year really just accelerated a trend that was coming anyway. I try not to bring you know, this the city bias that we tend to have. And of course, out of home will be back, but like streaming hours were up 30% in Gonzaga's home DMA of Spokane. And I'm sure the bars in Spokane will be more crowded than they were last year, but there may be a lot of linear viewers. And, and the thing is it cuts across demos. Roku's consumer team does really well with having a easy to use device that like people of all ages use. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw streaming stick around as a massive piece of the overall viewership of the tournament. I think in some sense, it's a, it was a one-way reaction. And so we're going to keep some of the trends that we saw come out of this year. Hopefully, you know, people have more folks over and can go out if, if that's what they're up for doing. But also, we got to admit that like media consumption is like pretty varied as you get across the regions and you can take a tailored approach. I hope you're both right with that. 
because I prefer to be outside group watching the basketball game at this point. So what is the one thing in our industry that people should be talking about that aren't right now? You mentioned Omnichannel a little bit, Brad, but beyond that, what are we missing the mark on? I would say, as I think about this industry and and where we need to be moving towards is, you know, we have so much data at our fingertips. We have these platforms at our fingertips and being able to connect the dots between your omni-channel strategies. I mean, that's really the powerful of it. And, you know, there's reasons for direct buying with partners and there's ways to do that. And you can still put them into platforms and be able to understand viewership across, you know, reach and frequency and viewership across multiple buys, whether it's connected TV, linear television, mobile desktop, short form video as as well. So, and then add in the social channels to it. So, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily missing the mark. I think it's really about how do we push ourselves forward to allow for holistic cross-platform, every buzzword I can think of, omni-channel marketing to be all measured together and understand that holistic reach and frequency. And I think the reality is we're very dang close to it. And I think that as as we start really pushing forward and the prolification of platforms is really going to allow for that measurement to happen in a very seamless fashion. I think the one key element, and I have Roku on here, so I, and they can help, you know, I think G can help speak to this better than I can, but it's really about your back end for all these platforms. You know, how how strong is your viewership source? What is your back end first party data? And then how well can you connect that to linear television? It's not a very easy thing and not a lot of partners have that. And what we're seeing in this marketplace is more walled gardens come up. So it's who's going to have the best line of sight to understanding linear TV viewership. And then how you're going to be able to quantify that in a streaming world. Man. Brad is just reading my mind. <laughs> you hit on a lot of key themes, but like the five words are holistic reach and frequency. And I think, you know, to build off of that, it's holistic reach and frequency, and then it's the data underlying that. So there's just some very basic questions. What identifier are you using to connect the linear TV exposures to the other exposures? How big is the linear TV footprint? And the answers to these vary. It's like IP address, but the full sample is these many devices with these many households, depending on who you household. And so some of these are like, circles that get run. And I think they're just really important for advertisers to focus on. So I think holistic reach of frequencies, omnichannel, all of those things are the same idea, which is like, who am I reaching and how many times? And what's the recipe and the ingredients going into that calculation? Because the, the methods and data sets really vary too. So that I definitely agree there. I think as a data person, I know we're supposed to pick one, but there's another flavor here, which is just for the marketers that are a little bit less focused with pure reach and upper funnel measurement, there, there is kind of how important is causal measurement to you? Can, where you can target one-to-one, can you run experiments? Where can you learn? Where can you get better? Whether it's creative or overall lift. I think that is super important and that is slowly gaining traction. But I think at the top level, if you force me to pick one, I'd hit on what Brad said. It's holistic reach and frequency and how we calculate it. And what I think is really interesting is there's so many different approaches you can do to it. It's not a one size fits all. It depends on what are the core elements that you really want to take home. What are the core things you want to make sure are going to be key to that? If it's data fidelity, there's going to be a different approach. If it's mass reach, if it's a way, like, there's going to be different elements on why you're going to choose one partner to the next. It's not really a one size fits all, but it just depends on what are that is what is that key element that you're really looking for? And then we're gonna make sure we're working with the right partners are gonna be able to deliver on that. If it's really rooted in first party data and reaching and reaching the right person, you're gonna to need to work with folks that have that first party data. Roku sits on a ton of it, right? So when working with them, you're gonna have a strong match to your first party audiences because you're matching that high level of first party to first party. You know, if you're really looking for a different element, if you're looking for 
hey, I want to really focus in on the right content. I really want to make sure I'm airing against X, Y, or Z's content. You're going to take a different approach. And that's absolutely fine. It's really going to be, what are you looking for, Advertiser X? And then we're going to make sure we're going to match up the right strategy to deliver that. You both are extremely passionate about the subject. And I think that's going to obviously read through this pod, which is why I love hosting it. But why do you love this business? Human behavioral problems. It's Freakonomics. Like, why did people stream? Why did they not stream? Why do the people in Spokane stream so much more? Why did they stop streaming when they were behind? Why did they watch their competitors' games? Brad mentioned he got into this business because he loves data. I love thinking about people and data. And it's just, it's about people. God love our friends who work in like finance and real estate, but like, we're not talking about like buildings or spreadsheets. We're talking about people and what they're watching and then what they're doing after they watch that. So it's definitely just looking at people through data. That is such a thrill. Yeah. I like to break things. I like to ask why. I like to question things. That is, you know, why some people probably hate to work with me and love that. But like, that's not for being a pain in the behind, but like, I want to figure out what is a new cool thing we can do. I, I think, you know, it sounds like silly, but like, you know, how do we use audience and data? Like I'm a numbers guy who also wants to, in marketing, the convergence of being able to use data, reach our audiences and like call for what it is, like being at Dentsu, like I get to work with some of the biggest brands in the world. You know, when you were talking about Procter & Gamble, General Motors, you know, we're talking about Subway sandwiches. Like these are our clients that spend a, a ton of money and do some really great, cool things, whether it's from creative executions, audience strategies, omni-channel. It's just, they make it fun to come to work every day and they challenge us. What is that new shiny object? What's national addressable look like? It's still another nod to UG with Graystone acquisition. So, you know, I think that's what's really exciting about this space. There's always something new. And in my role as, as video innovation, we're meant to be at the forefront of that. So not everything is going to work perfectly. It's going to be painful, but you know, it's about being comfortable being uncomfortable. And I love being uncomfortable. So this is what makes this job extremely fun and frustrating. And I can't wait for the next day. Okay. I just want to caveat that this is not a recruiting pod and this is not sponsored by Roku. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it would suck, it'd be so much easier. You know, it's, <laughs> but it's funny though, because like I've told this to my sales reps at Roku that I work with on a day to day. I'm like, if you talk to me three years ago, our relationship was very different because I was just trying to poke a lot of holes. And that's what I do. It's my job to poke holes in a lot of these offerings. These guys keep finding ways to fill them. And I'll find more holes to poke. I always do. But, you know, it's impressive what Roku... It's not just you guys. I'm going to say some of your competitors' names now, so don't get mad over there. But, like, it's the great things that Amazon's doing. Samsung, Vizio. Like, they're all coming out with these offerings, and they're really sharp at what they do. They have really good line of sight. You know, whether it's Amazon with their first-party data, Samsung. They have 50 million-plus televisions they have across the U.S. that they have line of sight to for their ACR. It's separate from G's ACR. Right? It's it's completely different view, different audiences, different buying behaviors for a Samsung audience versus the 11 OEMs that G has. But at the same time, they're compounding of each other. And there's different reasons for why we want to look at both. And I think there's a really good opportunity. And that's what this space has. like Just a lot of really fun, cool, innovative tech that's going to allow our advertisers to be smarter with everything they do. Yeah. I mean, to your point, though, to tie this all back, when it comes to TV, linear or streaming, it has to do with partnerships. It has to be flexible and you have to work with multiple people and know where your audience is to do that. So I think there is a very holistic approach to this that takes a craft for sure. So unless both of you have any last final words around the topic that I missed. Chelsea, I never have final words. I only have more words. Come on now. Come on, I man. know, I know. Spoken like a true <laughs> innovation title expert. 
Yes. I really had to bite my tongue there when Brad was going off about the entire ecosystem. You know, we compare the ad opportunities in the final round to the first and second round. Roku devices saw a 38% bump in ad ops more than any other CTV device. And it's America's number one streaming platform. We do love to be pushed and be made to feel uncomfortable. So much love to Brad and the team for kind of helping us drive our partnership forward and, and share the insights we sit on as the folks with the largest scale. <laughs> so I was actually going to call it out and I wasn't going to say it to you, G, but like you went from smiling to like full on like, I'm going to write Brad a nasty email after this pod. Uh, he, he, know, he knows who his biggest advocate is, but I also, you know, like I said, I still have to negotiate with these guys. I have to jab at them every chance I get still. You know, I still got to win at the end of the year. Of course, of course. Well, let's dive into the fun part, even though this was probably the best part of this pod. Let's go to the lightning round. Favorite game to watch during March Madness this year? UCLA, Gonzaga. Yeah, hands down. Okay, great. I got nothing for that. Favorite digital experience? Well, in honors of Masters Week, I can't wait for uh, my Paramount Plus Masters viewing behavior and watching my uh, my core groups, maybe the ones I bet on, play this week. In honor of the vaccine that we're getting, I can't wait for TRC Live to add a few more Spanish channel feeds and get me brushed up before I hit the road. Those are both ones I've never heard before. So thank you for that. <laughs> Best piece of content recently consumed? For me, it was the uh, Formula One Drive to Survive Season 3. It just came out on Netflix uh, two weeks ago, and I'm done with it. I'm not going to lie. That is a great show. And I actually haven't watched the season three yet, but I'm a huge fan. And I, for no reason, not for whatsoever, actually, not a car guy. You know what? I just got, I, I'm two episodes left in WandaVision on Disney Plus, And I've been watching the Marvel series in cinematical order. So the 23 for MCU are now 24 with uh, Eagle. So yeah, really am for that. So I have that. And then the next one to watch. So Favorite TV show to binge? It's been the great British Bake Off. I got a KitchenAid and it's been hard not to be inspired. So I mean, I'm from Jersey. The Sopranos all day. <laughs> it makes me curse a lot though. Okay. It does. It does. <laughs> you it's just come out of the living room I'm just, just Yeah, smart. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to do it on here. Favorite social platform? LinkedIn. Email. Such a nerd. Oh my God. God we are losers. We got two nerds on the pod. I, I, Can you just say LinkedIn and email? LinkedIn is the coolest now, though. It's so bad. But, like, I cannot tell you how many times, like, Law and I are just screenshotting things on LinkedIn and just going back and forth. It is, like, it's real. It's just, I love LinkedIn. A couple years ago, it might be different. But, yeah, all day. I mean, you're lucky I didn't say postcards. There's just something about, like, writing a message and sending some attachments. It's like... When was the last time you sent a note and you said, dear, comma, someone? Like, it yeah, it forces you to think. So I'm not going to lie, because I got married a couple years ago and I had to send those thank you cards. I think by the third one, nobody knew my handwriting anyway. So that's that's a you, man. I am, I'm a big fan of email. <laughs> Copy and paste would have been a hell of a lot easier. Oh, my God. You know, email emails don't take stamps, but you can send them anyway. <laughs> when I write an email to you both showing you this pod... I'm going to make sure there's a digital stamp on it and a deer in front of both of your names. You're welcome, G. One thing people should know about you, but they don't. I beat President Obama at ping pong. Uh, all right. We're going to end it right there. Sorry, Brad. Yeah, you didn't get... <laughs> How do you follow that up? How do you follow that up? Like, was he president at the time at least? Or was it, you know, was he still running? No, he was still at the time. That's why he wasn't so good. He's lefty and he had a day job. I'm sure he's better. <laughs> 
I don't stand a chance. Am I supposed to match that? Am I supposed to, am I, like, yeah, you can't. Give me a sign. Like, tap your nose twice if you say something that I'll never be able to match so I can go first. Because, like, this is not okay, man. Like, this is the first one G let you, like, yeah. didn't let you answer. Oh. He knew. He knew. Clearly. The only thing I got, so I sing a song with Luke Bryan. So, anybody who's a diehard uh, country fan, it was a weird media event and he's a sig kai and i was a pseudo sig kai i was actually not in a fraternity but i was very close with guys that were in a fraternity so i got a got a little closer with him and then there's a song they never put on an album that he only did in live concerts i watched it on live concert a bunch of times memorized it said it to him he came over and arm in arm we sang the song together to a group of friends of us that were just there so that is my my highlight all right those are pretty good those are pretty good I can't thank you both enough for joining the pod. You were such amazing guests and we hope to have you both back soon. Thanks so much, Brad. I'll see you at uh, Stagecoach 2022. Oh, don't tease me with a good time. Chelsea, thank you so much. It was absolutely phenomenal. Gee, as always, yes, thank you for everything you guys do for us. We really appreciate your Datsu. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere. You can find your pods. Give us a like, subscribe, or send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. And in the meantime, be well.